Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all round from the Milo inwards. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. We have waited in silence on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. This God is our God forever and ever. He shall be our guide forevermore. Father, again and again, we entrust ourselves to you. We await in silence. And we draw in the breath that you gave us at our birth. That you gave the first man, Adam, at his creation. So now, Lord, we pray that you would reign over us in grace and truth. And let your word speak forth now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening to all. Welcome to St. Bart's, St. Bartholomew's. If this is your first time with us, we're a brand new church. Last Sunday was our first Sunday, technically. We've been around for a couple of years. We're so glad that you're here. We're on a journey together, figuring out, discovering, as we watch the life of Christ, as we follow the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to be fully human, rooted in the Christian tradition, rooted in the narrative of the scriptures? What does it mean to be fully who God made us, fully man, fully woman. And in this season of ordinary time, as we've been transitioning from being all Saints East Dallas and becoming St. Bartholomew's, we have been in the books of First and Second Samuel, and we've been in this series entitled Becoming a People. And we've looked at the people of Israel in this particular chapter of their story at the monarchy at the establishment of the monarchy, beginning with Samuel's call. Remember Samuel, the little boy? Elkanah, his father, and his mother Hannah took the little boy, offered him to the Lord. He stayed at the temple, was with Eli, and the Lord called to him. We went from that point, and here we are now. Saul is dead. David is now the undisputed king of Israel, if you will. And we're going to look and see what happens with David. And and kind of our goal in looking at the story of Israel these last several weeks and on through August 12th, in these particular narratives will be, what insights can we glean as we become a people, as we become a church, as God establishes us for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his mission and ministry in East Dallas. And today, as you'll see, everything is focused on David. But let's take, take a step back and look at this from the lens of things being focused on a king. 
If you're into reading theological books, which you may not be, but if you are, you should pick up Bishop Robert Barron's commentary, theological commentary, on the book of 2 Samuel. It's beautiful. He tells the story of Israel, and he says we can look at the people of Israel as really a series of kings and priests, beginning with, guess who? Beginning with Adam. Bishop Barron says that the first king and the first kingdom is Adam, and his kingdom is the Garden of Eden. His job was to bring order to that garden. His job was to work and to keep the garden. That was his worship unto God. That was his vocation, his call. His job was to protect the garden from any sort of influences that would subvert the good and beautiful, true reign of God, i.e. the serpent, which he doesn't do quite so well. Hence, we're all here now and living in the brokenness that we live in. But we see this first king, Adam, and we see the second king, David, whom we'll spend most of our time talking about tonight. So don't forget about David. But there's another king mentioned tonight in the scriptures as a king that we always refer to, and that's our king, Jesus. We sang about him. I read that Psalm 110. It was presumably a psalm about David, a psalm of, of ascension to his throne, but also a prophetic psalm about David, or excuse me, about Jesus, and how one day God would make him sit at his right hand at his ascension, and how his enemies would be a footstool to his feet. We hear it hearkening back to that garden language in Genesis 3, that the serpent will bruise your heel, but you will crush his head. That happens in our king, our Lord Jesus. So we have these three kings, Adam and David and Jesus. But let's focus in on David, if we will, tonight, to look and to see and understand what God may teach us as St. Bartholomew's, as he establishes us, as he identifies us as his people, his church in East Dallas. Notice the first thing that we see, that David is finally recognized as king, verses 1 and 2. It's in your bulletin on page 2, if you have it. It's a beautiful bulletin, well-designed, perfect colors, just love everything about it. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Quick question, where were these guys the whole time when Saul was pursuing David? Were you here last week? Do you remember what happened between the time that David was anointed king and then David killed Goliath? And all that time... Saul went downhill. He progressed into a downward spiral of, of wrath, of self-absorption, of anger, so much so that he tried to kill David. We saw in the picture of David and Jonathan this picture of perfect and beautiful friendship. Jonathan, the presumable heir to the throne, since he was the son of a king, chose not to keep for himself his own title, but a very self-sacrificing way, a way that would uh, image forth our Lord Jesus, gave up what he had in order to support and befriend and help David, despite his father's maddening pursuit of the young warrior. 
So now finally, 2 Samuel 5, finally the elders of Israel come to David a Hebron. Hey, you are the king of Israel. But notice what they say in verse 1. Behold, we are your bone and flesh. Think about the story of God in the scriptures. We are your bone and your flesh. What does that remind you of? What scene and setting? Reminds me of the garden. How God made the man and then the woman from his bone. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We are your bone and flesh, David. We are God's descendants with you. We all came and come from that first king, Adam. In times past, then they recognize his charismatic, gifted leadership. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. You were the one who led Israel out into war. You were the one who brought Israel into war. Now later in David's saga, you'll hear this phrase again, in the springtime, when kings go out to war, and another series of consequences happen. We'll get to that later. But here it says, you were the one who brought Israel out, took Israel out, and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, so now they not only recognize that they're of this, this same family, the same kingdom family from, from the people of Adam. Not only do they recognize that he is a gifted charismatic leader, a skilled warrior, capable of smiting the enemies of God, Goliath, smiting the armies of the enemies of God, the Philistines, etc., at all. Not only that, but the Lord said to you, so they bring in this other part, the Lord said to you, David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So David is now recognized as king. David, you are a descendant of Adam like we are, but, but for you, there's something different. You're a warrior. God has given you favor as a warrior, and God has spoken to you that you will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You will be prince over my people. So David is recognized. It's ironic that close to his hometown, not in his hometown of Bethlehem, but close to his hometown, the elders of Israel recognize David as king. Yet in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus in his, is in his hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth? Really? Nazareth? He's patently not recognized as king. Not only is Jesus not recognized as king in the town where he grew up, he is also astonished by the lack of faith that the people that he grew up around display. So much so that the gospel writer says that he didn't do many mighty works there. Jesus is the true son of David, if you will. The true anointed king. The, the, the role and the vocation and the call that God gave to Adam that Adam could not fulfill, that he couldn't order and keep and work that garden. Moreover, Adam, uh, Bishop Robert Barron says, affected a sort of mystical, spiritual union between God and humanity as Adam was uh, head over Eve and as he presided over the garden. Not just the people of the garden, but all the, the things, all the created order 
of the garden. So Adam being a king and a priest, Jesus is the one who could come to be the king to provide order, to provide governance, but not in a way that anyone would expect. But more so, he was the one, he was the chief priest in the most beautiful way. The chief liturgist, the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 8, he was the one that could affect perfectly this union between God and man, where all the other kings from Adam to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down the line. Now, they weren't kings proper, but they were people who gave order and shape to the life of the people of Israel. And so Jesus could be that king. David is recognized as the king, but not only do they recognize him, in Hebron, close to his hometown. Not only do they acknowledge what God has done, then they anoint him. Well, he's already been anointed. Do you remember with Samuel and Jesse? And are these all the kids that you have, Jesse? He's already been anointed. But God sets apart this time, now that Saul is dead, now that Saul has been rejected by God because he would not obey the voice of God, now that David has marked this transition. Remember we talked about last week, marked this transition of Saul's death, of Saul's demise and Jonathan's demise with this beautiful lament at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 1. A lament that David says will be learned in perpetuity by the people of Israel to remember that Saul was mighty and that Jonathan was mighty. So David navigated this transition well. Everything he did he did with integrity up to this point. But now, at this new time, the people of Israel as a collective, this people of Israel, maybe they're remembering their roots of how God, through Moses, with them, made a covenant at Sinai and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And as Moses sprinkled the blood on them and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord your God is making with you. And as he delivered to them the commandments, what we call the Decalogue, and all the rest of the law, as Moses helped establish a rhythm of worship in the tabernacle. Now these people of Israel, remembering that they are constituted as God's people, say, we want to anoint you as king, verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king, David king over Israel. He made a covenant with them. Covenants, we can spiritualize covenants. Covenants are everywhere in the ancient Near East. If anybody wanted to make an agreement with anybody else, they made a covenant. It could be as base and as uh, based on the lack of trust, like a contract, or as we see from God Almighty, the God of the people of Israel, the God of the universe, that God would take that agreement and, and use it in this, this incredibly generous way to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will establish this new agreement with you, this, this new covenant with you. And remember that word that we mentioned last week, that covenant love that God has for us, that love that cannot be broken, that love that carried David through 
when the kings, in the springtime, when the kings were to go out to war, and David didn't go out to war, and he saw Bathsheba, and, and he committed this series of sins of adultery and murder, it was the covenant love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And so David, a man after God's own heart, a king who will rule God's people after God's own heart. Remember, Samuel objected to Saul because Samuel was, was a king like whom? Like all the other nations' kings. Samuel, give us a king like all the other nations. But David was a different kind of king. A king that could govern, who could rule and reign, who could be God's anointed one, his Messiah, so to speak. So they anoint him as king. So David's recognized by the people of Israel. The elders, this, this group of leaders, anoint him and establish him as king. And lastly, we see that David not only is put into place as a king, but now his presence and his reign is established. Think back to the garden, if you will. Think back to a specific area, a specific place where Adam had rule and had reign. Verses 4 and 5. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years an accurate historical number, but also a number of theological significance. Forty years long have these people tempted and tried me, said the Lord of the Exodus in the wilderness. Forty days on the ark. Forty days Jesus fasted and prayed and was tempted by Satan. Verse 5, at Hebron he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. So specifically over the people of Judah, the tribe of Judah, he reigned for seven years. This perfect, complete, full amount of time. Seven being the Sabbath day. There's a sort of wholeness, a sort of shalom, if you will, for the people of Judah with their reign of David over them from Hebron. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. So in Jerusalem, the sort of the center of the nation of Israel, if you think very far north of Israel is Dan, and the very southern part is uh, the Negev, Jerusalem is right there in the middle. It's a strategic place. Not only that, though, but look at verses 9 and 10. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. So Jerusalem is a city that's mentioned throughout the Old Testament very sparsely up to this point. Do you know the last time that Jerusalem is mentioned in these books? It's after a little kid named David killed Goliath, took his head to Jerusalem, and, and just put it on display. Now, the people, the Jebusites were the people that controlled Jerusalem. If you've been to Jerusalem or if you've heard about it, it's been in the news every now and then, you know, maybe every couple of months. It's a, it's a really strategic city because it's up on a mountain. It's up on a ridge. And if you're coming from the Mediterranean Sea inland, you have to pass Jerusalem. If you're coming east, past the Jordan, past Jericho, out from the wilderness towards the sea, you have to pass Jerusalem. It's an incredibly significant place. And when Amy and I were there in October, we got to go to the city of David. 
the place that David and his mighty men would have crawled up the water shaft. We opted not to walk down the long water shaft, but we went down the short water shaft. Nevertheless, David and his mighty men go up the water shaft and take over the city. So David sees it as the strategic place, but not only is it just a strategic physical thing, but God wants to breathe life into it in a spiritual reality. God gave Adam as king of the garden to work it and to keep it. And God made Israel his people. Bishop Leslie Newbigin says, not because he favored them over all the other people, but he chose a people whose father was one of faith, Abram, who had become Abraham. He chose them so that he could use that people to show the whole world this never-failing, never-stopping love. And so he sets David in his citadel. And you read it in Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. In the city of our God is his holy hill. Beautiful and lofty, the joy of all the earth is the hill of Zion the very center of the world and the city of the great king. This doesn't mean that we're Zionists. This means that the spiritual reality that God established in the people of Israel that would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus and now lives on, is incarnated in the people of the church. This reality lives in you and in I. But it found its beginnings in David, in Jerusalem, in this specific place, as God would bring blessing and order to the people of Israel. God is in her citadels. He is known to be her sure refuge. What is the city that comes down out of heaven? It's not the new Dallas, though I'm sure it would be fabulous. (laughs) They already tore down another building the new Jerusalem. And who was from Jerusalem? Who was another king who was from Jerusalem? There was an old guy named Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. And not only was he a king, but he was a high priest. Most likely, Melchizedek is Jesus Before he was incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, the Son of God, walking the earth. But it all comes back together as God established David in his kingdom. He is laying the foundation and the groundwork for the true Son of David, Jesus, for his kingdom to be established. And though, even though Jesus was not recognized in his hometown, And all throughout his life, even up to his crucifixion, he was anointed at his baptism. He was anointed at his crucifixion, a baptism that he tells his disciples that they are not ready to be baptized with. He's anointed at his ascension, and he has established his kingdom in our midst. And he has put St. Bartholomew's here for the sake of his kingdom. We're not here for our own notoriety, for our own namesake. We're not here for our own self 
coddling or self-affirmation. He has put us here to be just like those 12 that he sent out two by two. Remember what happened after his hometown didn't recognize him? Jesus then took the 12 and he sent them out two by two. And he doesn't say the words, go proclaim the kingdom of heaven or of God. It actually doesn't talk about the kingdom of God a ton in Mark's gospel. But when he begins his ministry in chapter one, he says, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And now he's sending out those 12 two by two to proclaim the kingdom. From Adam to David to Jesus and now we, citizens of this kingdom, can proclaim that good news, that invitation to be who you were made to be. You don't have to chase after notoriety or power or financial security or whatever it is. You don't have to chase after the approval of others or to fulfill the deepest long that, longing that you have inside with any number of things. Because God has made you good and beautiful to be in his kingdom and to be under the lordship of his son, to receive the effects of his sacrifice, to come to this table and to kneel and to receive his body, the bread of heaven, to receive his blood, the blood of the, not of the old covenant that Moses sprinkled from all those bulls with all the elders of Israel on Sinai, but the blood, Jesus says, of the new covenant, which is shed for you, 12 in this room, you 11 at that point, and for many. Who are many? Shed for everyone. Everyone who will come to the banquet table of the kingdom of God. And as we learn what it means to become St. Bartholomew's, we're going to learn that we have been given a share in his kingdom as individuals and as a people. And there is a responsibility on us. There is a mantle on us, a good and easy yoke that we learn from Jesus, those rhythms of unforced grace where we proclaim the goodness of the one true king the Son of David, our King Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you have called us into your kingdom, that you have not left us as orphans, but you have made us your sons and your daughters. Thank you for the people of Israel. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for your patience and mercy on them when they tested you. Lord, let us learn from their example. But most of all, Lord, let us be filled with the life of God as you, Father, and the Son pour out the Spirit of God on us, even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.